Welcome, Not About Us listeners, and thank God it's podcast day. Yes. <laughs> As always, I am so glad you are here, and I do pray and hope that all of you have been well, and everything's been well with you since our last study. Today in our ongoing podcast study of Revelation, I will do my best to dive deeper into chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. And 12. We're going to get two today. Are you <laughs> sure about that? I, I cheat. I'll explain later. Oh, okay. And I'm going to share those things with you that I found that I thought were interesting and the things I thought were important to share. I'm also excited to get to this one started because we have a special podcast guest star today as well. Scott's son, Matthew, is here with us today. Hello. 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 Uh, so let's go ahead and get this thing going. Um, as always, I'm Brad. I'm Matt. And I'm Scott. And this is Not About Us. Right. Just a quick reminder to our listeners, before I start any of these studies, I do pray and ask God that there is more of him and less of Brad in every one of these studies. My hope is that these studies encourage others to go right to the source when they have questions. I pray that if I say something that sounds like truth, you ask Yeshua about it and get, to get it straight from the source, straight from him. If I say something that does not sound like truth, please just throw that away. All right, Scott. If you would be so kind as to invite the source in so we can have less of me and more of the one who this is always all about. Absolutely. Yahweh God, we just lift you up today. This is truly not about us. It's about you, and we want you to shine out in this. As Brad said, if, if it's not from you, if whatever brad or i or matt say today is not of you it comes from our hearts it comes from our minds then we pray that it just die a quick death but yahweh we just give access to your holy spirit ruach hakadesh come in and be a part of this today and grant your truth and your wisdom and your words and we just we just Give life and blessings upon all that you have for us today, Yahweh. Hallelujah. May your word go forth into all the earth and bring forth fruit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Scott. And thank you, God. Now, last podcast, I want everyone to remember that we discussed Revelation chapter 1, verse 10. And we discussed the great voice as of a trumpet that John heard and how loud and powerful that great voice would have been. Uh, I'm going to read that verse to you again real quick. This is the King James Version. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. Today, the verses in Revelation, we are looking a little deeper into our chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. Uh, yes, two verses in one <laughs> podcast, believe it or not. Um, but as I mentioned, and I will explain later, I do cheat a little bit. Okay. <laughs> uh, today, we get to hear what the great voice as of, as of a trumpet was saying. Uh, let's read it together. Or, let's, <laughs> let, let's, let's read it together. That, that's an you, interesting <laughs> trick, Brad. <laughs> you, you quietly in your own minds, and I will speak it out loud. <laughs> um, Matt, as you can see, we are a professional operation. <laughs> um, okay. Matthew's shaking his head, wondering what he's gotten himself into. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, the verses are, uh, this is King James Version, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, Onto Ephesus, onto Smyrna, onto Pergamos, onto Thyatara, onto Sardis, and onto Philadelphia, and onto Laodicea. And I turned to the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. Now, the very first word of verse 11, saying, is where I started my study. 
but it is a word we have studied before in podcast number seven for verse eight, where it stated, saith the Lord. In fact, several of the words I investigated for this study today were also in that study. Is that where the cheat comes from? Um, no, 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 no. <laughs> Uh, partially, but no. Uh, but I am interested to look at looking some of them up again, just to see if anything new stood out to me. So the word saying, which was also saith, is Strong's Concordance in the Greek, number 3004. And if you remember, this was lego, lego my ego. <laughs> and the definition of this one was to say, which makes sense. Its usage is I say, I speak, I mean, I mention, I tell. It can also mean I call, I name something, especially in the past. It also can mean tell and command. Now in podcast seven, I was most surprised by this word uh, because that it can suggest laying an argument to rest. If you remember the word study on this, uh, it was basically saying that uh, properly to say, speak, moving to a conclusion, bringing it to a closure, laying it to rest, i.e. laying an argument to rest. At that time, I mentioned I believed in a way Jesus was stating who he was. And since he can only speak truth, he was laying to rest any argument to the contrary. I still believe that is one aspect of what is going on here too. By stating out with the same word, sorry, by starting out with the same word, Jesus is proclaiming who he is and as such, we can lay any argument to the contrary to rest right now, even before he, procl he proclaims who he exactly he is. It is interesting to me that this time around the word starts the statement and last time it ended the statement. I found that interesting, but do not necessarily have any more thoughts on what that could mean other than what I just stated. Ending any doubts of who he is now so we can fully understand what comes next. So basically, there's no debate. This is who I am, argument's over, now pay attention. That makes sense. Also worth noting as part of this laying an argument to rest meaning of this word, which gets that idea from moving to a conclusion, bringing something to closure, i.e. laying it to rest. Well, the first time this word was used in verse eight, Jesus is literally moving us to a conclusion. The first time he spoke in Revelation, this word that means bringing something to closure is also used. Perhaps that thought is not earth-shaking, but to me, considering its use here in Revelation, and considering that it was the, fir the first time Jesus spoke to us in Revelation, it was just one more little piece that shows how perfect and awesome God is, and the importance of Revelation getting us to our closure, to our end. All right, so also I noticed that this word means I tell and command. I found that interesting also, considering its placement here, because I know what comes next in the verse. Jesus will tell who he is, and then he makes a command. Write what you see in a book. So Jesus tells us, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Write what you see in a book. He's telling and commanding. Not Once again, not earth-shaking, but still thought that was interesting. Okay, now the next part of this verse, Jesus is going to tell us who he is. I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. If you've listened to my previous podcast, you'll know I really like the phrase, I am, when God uses it. I have mentioned in two podcasts that the word, what the words I and am mean, so I'm not going to spend too much time in this podcast going over it again. But I want to consider that the great voice like a trumpet is proclaiming an I am statement right here, right now. And that should be respected. Take a moment to think of your favorite Jesus I am statement. I mentioned several of them in study eight. If you remember, it's 
the light of the world, the bread of life, the door, the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life, the true vine. He has all these things and so much more. The great I am is speaking, and I do think we forget how awesome and powerful that can be. So I, go oh, ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. That, um, no, I think you're right, uh, especially the fact that you're talking about right here, speaking with the voice of a trumpet. Um, it just adds emphasis to this fact that God is Yeshua. Jesus is not coming at this point as the humble servant that he came on earth. He's not coming as uh, uh, the, the, oh, what's a good word for it? He's not, he's not coming in his humanity. He's not coming in his simplicity. He's coming with the statement that you just said, this I am is, is understand I am God. He's coming in the same way that he came to Paul. On the road yeah. The yes. The shock, the awe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that's it. The shock and awe is needed here uh, because because of what we've because of what he's about to say because of, of where he is uh, in the place. The first time he came as the suffering savior. The second time he comes back, he's coming back with judgment and righteousness, and we're in Revelation. He's going to give us the end. He's he's about to tell uh, John. How he's coming back as conquering king, we need this boom. Yes. Yes, no, absolutely. I'm, I'm glad both of you have just reassured stuff I'm going to talk about later in this study. So you've reassured me that I'm onto something. So thank you. Um, with your comment about Paul, I actually have that somewhere in here coming up too. So it's like, ah, thank you. Um, so I guess what I'm trying to say uh, right now is I hope that when this great voice is stating I am right here right now, we are listening to that and we are giving it the respect that he deserves. Mm -hmm. I am Alpha and Omega. Boom. <laughs> yeah. Now, in podcast eight, I broke down Alpha and Omega and that was the first and last letter of the Greek alphabet. We mentioned that Jesus was saying he was the first, but then we also had to consider the other part of what you were just talking about, he was the last. Jesus is the first and most important, but he chose to make himself the last and least important. When he did that, he taught us to be servants. He taught us to be humble. But Never forget that at the same time Jesus is both first, I'm sorry, same time Jesus is last, he is also first. As a spiritual example of being Alpha and Omega, this shows that Jesus always was and will always be. It's that eternal East and West comparison that we have talked about in several podcasts, but I think it's also worth noting that if you consider the idea of an eternal West, a never ending existence, then Jesus must have no limit to his ability to provide for us. He mentions this several times himself. One example, the water that when you drink, you will never be thirsty again. But for whatever reason, when I was doing this study, this is where I had to stop and really consider for a little bit. As always, I'm, I, as always, I am currently a finite being. So it is difficult to consider any other type of existence. A lot of media has tried to ponder what it would be like for a finite individual to live forever. And I do not think I am wrong when I state they usually paint this situation as a grim and depressing existence. To live forever and have everyone you care for and love die, to have to sustain yourself day after day forever, and not to mention the boredom. Most of the people in these stories would do anything to just die, to finally end. I think these authors are onto something. An everlasting existence without God would be grim and depressing. Having to rely on ourselves forever and ever. There's a, a meme that I can relate to. It shows a person who has fallen downstairs 
and has gotten themselves all tangled up in an awkward position. And it says something to the effect of me trying to figure out my life without God. Yes, <laughs> I, I can relate to that. But with God, we have the promise of an everlasting existence that will be better than anything we can imagine. I want to connect that just now. I, I just want to say you're, you're opening my mind up with this because of your statement earlier. Um, an infinite God has no ends to the provision. And I've never put it together that way before. In the sense that I, I know God has no end and no beginning, and I so it, it makes me see him as great and overpowering and awesome and godlike, and, and I appreciate him for that. But I've never, I suppose, consciously put together the fact that that means he has no end to what he has to offer us. Exactly. And, and you're right. Uh, an eternity with him is that we're never going to reach a point where I'm bored, I've seen it all, done it all, I'm done. I'm, I'm, I, I've never consciously thought about it that way before. Once again, we're, we're both on the, in the same mind here. This is where I was in this study when I came to this point. God must have no limits on how to provide for us. And I think Revelation gives us a little clue how all our needs will be met so an everlasting existence will be wonderful. I'm switching to the Passion uh, translation for this one. It's Revelation 21.3. And I heard a thunderous voice from the throne saying, Look, God's tabernacle is with human beings, and from now on he will tabernacle with them as their God. Now God himself will have his home with them. God with them will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and eliminate death entirely no one will mourn or weep any longer. The pain of wounds will no longer exist, for the old order has ceased. And God enthroned spoke to me and said, Consider this, I am making everything to be new and fresh. Write down at once all that I have told you, because each word is trustworthy and dependable. So not only will we have an everlasting peace, but God states that he will do something new and fresh. There is something people do sometimes that I hate. I hate this. They will say something like, I would rather go to hell because that's where the party will be. Oh, yeah. Or some nonsense like that. First, this tells me one thing. They have no biblical truth in them. But also, this makes me feel very sorry for them because the real party is going to be in heaven. I have talked about the mighty deed in a previous podcast that will be celebrated forever and ever. But I also like how Revelation 21 states, consider this, I am making everything to be new and fresh. Not only will we celebrate and party forever and ever, but God is also making everything new and fresh. One of the ways I read into this, I read it to mean that we will never be bored. Imagine never being bored. Everything is always new and fresh. <laughs> we have a pod catster helping out. <laughs> um, but imagine that, Scott, never being yeah. bored. Ever, everything is always new and fresh. I hope that was a cool thought to our listeners. It was a cool thought for me, and I wanted to share it. I want to throw this out to you guys real quick, too, because this is you're thinking about that. When I was young, I was, I, I was like 12, 13, and I'm thinking of heaven. Uh, I thought, now at that time, one of my favorite things to do was go to the arcade, play all the new games. And I imagined heaven as like just an endless supply of arcade games. <laughs> And as I've gone on, you know, I've played games where it's like, uh, I thought I'd never get bored with this. I thought I'd never get bored doing this. And now I'm just, I'm just bored. I just, this is, this is tedious. This is repetitive. I've done this before. Um, I know that heaven is beyond my imagination, but 
how difficult is that? I mean, you guys chime in here to just try to imagine never try to, this is the difficult part. Try to imagine beyond what you can imagine. <laughs> right. It's, but what, I don't know. What do you, what do you guys, I suppose I'm asking, what do you picture heaven as being like? But, uh, I mean, or what do you want heaven to be like? And then go beyond that. But, uh, I don't know. Any thoughts? I mean, I think that's one of the kind of differences with the Christian perspective of heaven from what I've seen to other religions, where one of my friends, Alex, he was recently asking, trying to figure out kind of what was the Christian ideal of heaven. And, you know, we we investigated that a little bit. But one thing that I kind of thought was, it kind of stood out to me when taking a look at it, is that with all of the other religions out there, whether it be Buddhism, Mormonism, Islam, any of them, even Judaism, a lot of them all give you a solid definition of what heaven is, or a thing to look forward to. Like with Mormonism, you get to have your own planet if you do everything right. With Islam, you get to have 70 virgins. All of them give a very worldly view of heaven, where it's something where, when talking about it, it Christianity is the one that it almost says you can't, you can't, you know, understand it right now. Mm -hmm. There's more to it than just worldly things. And it's another reason why of course, I think Christianity is actually true and those other ones are false because all of their carrot on a stick for heaven are all just worldly things. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, here's the thing that you can get if you follow all the rules right. And then Christianity's like, no, no. You just need to know that it's going to be good and that's it. Worry about worry about this right now. Yeah. Just trust that this is good. And it yes. almost... It makes so much more sense that way to me because it just doesn't check out that it would be. No, you're right. Oh, yeah, here's what heaven is. It's just, you know, it's like, no, no, you'll have eternity to figure that out. That's not why you're here. You're not here to worry about that right now. Just know it's going to be good. And that's it. Because you're exactly right. And that's what. Mm-hmm. That's that you, you carry it on a stick. That is wonderful mm-hmm. because if you're given your own planet, if you're yeah. given, you know, essentially with Islam, you're given uh, sexual fantasies. Yeah, same with Mormonism. Yeah. Mormonism, yeah. and and it's after a certain amount of time, if that's what you're given, you get bored with it. Exactly. You'd get okay. I'm done. Mm-hmm. But right here, right now, it appeals to us, and it's a dry. It's a carrot on a string, mm-hmm. yeah. and that's what it was to me. I was. When I was very young, I was trying to imagine what's the best I could think of, and the heaven would be like that. You know mm-hmm. that's because, and I knew even logically it's beyond my imagination. Mm-hmm. But I was trying to think what is right now. What is my personal definition of heaven? What would be the best thing to to me? What would be perfection? Mm-hmm. And that's what I came up with. Was this incredible? You know, I was ten, eleven, twelve. <laughs> is this incredible arcade? And then later on in life, I was like, boy, I would get so bored with that if my fantasy came true in heaven. Yeah. So this is this is like, and now I'm connecting the two. This is endless, unlimited God saying, oh, believe me, what I've got for you is is so far beyond what your limited perspective can conceive of. And connecting that back to what mm-hmm. Matthew is saying, just you don't have to worry about it. You just have to trust me. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be it's gonna be mind blowing, which also brings us back to the relationship versus religion aspect. Mm-hmm. When you're in a relationship with someone and you trust them wholeheartedly, yes, they'll not let you down. When they don't, it's even the the reward is even greater. It's even better than you can possibly imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's an old. Both of you very well said, by the way, but. I think it's an old Twilight episode where this gentleman was killed in the process of a, a heist or something like he was a criminal. He wasn't a good guy by our standards. And he woke up in heaven 
and he was amazed. How did I get to heaven? Like, mm-hmm. like this doesn't make any sense, but okay, I'm going to enjoy it. And he has a, he has a, an angel who is giving him every wish that he could possibly imagine. He, he wants to go, uh, he wants to go gamble and he wants to win. Well, he wins and wins and wins and wins. So it loses, it loses its thrill because he mm-hmm. can't lose. He wants women. Every woman that he pursues, he's successful and he can have. That starts to lose its appeal because there's no, you know, there's no challenge. Uh-huh. There's no journey. Anyway, the whole point of the episode was to show that, because uh, uh, by, by the end of the episode, we find out that that angel is not actually an angel. That angel is the devil and he's in hell. And he's got to spend eternity having everything he could possibly have ever wanted. <laughs> and so, I mean, that's the shock of the Twilight Zone episode. But, but yeah. I, I think I think of that as true. What you thought was heaven would actually be a hell, one type of hell. Yeah. <laughs> you had to do that for all eternity. Uh-huh. You know. So, once again, it's just a thing. We have to trust God because He knows better than we do what will keep us from loving him what will keep us uh from not being bored what we, you know i mean he he knows better than we do so i guess what i'm trying to say is trust him yeah <laughs> and, and thank you for both of those uh, both of those were well spoken um opinions um and i now i hope that was a a cool thought um i wanted to share it but let's get back to to verse 11 here um I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. Now, this is very similar to verse 8. But last time, Jesus said he was the beginning and the ending. And this time, he says he is the first and the last. Now, this piqued my interest, and, and I wanted to know why. The meaning is similar, but the words are different. Also, we have learned when the Bible repeats itself, then God wants us to consider something. He's pointing out something is important. Paul wrote a comparison of the first and last statement that I want to share here. It's Hebrews 12.2, back to King James Version. But then I am going to read the Passion Translation just because I love the Passion Translation. King James Version. Looking on to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame, and is set down on the right hand of the throne of God. The Passion Translation. We look away from the natural realm and we fasten our gaze onto Jesus who birthed faith within us and who leads us forward into faith's perfection. His example is this. Because his heart was focused on the joy of knowing that you would be his, he endured the agony of the cross and conquered its humiliation, and now sits exalted at the right hand of the throne of God. What I was trying to get out of that was the comparison of the first and the last. The King James Version simplified the comparison best, but the Passion Translation, I believe, is just written as a beautiful love letter to God. So I wanted to read that to you as well. The comparison is the first and the last is the mention of the author of our faith and the finisher of our faith. Jesus literally authored creation and us and our relationship with him. When we end or when revelation happens, we will have an end to our earthly faith. Our faith will have been perfected, as the Passion Translation said. When we are with Jesus, we can speak to him and behold him. Then our faith will always be him, not just in him, but him. Our faith will end in such a way that we will have no doubt because we are surrounded by him. The first of our faith and the last of our faith with Jesus is the ever and ever that I've talked about before. I hope that comparison I'm trying to make here is making sense to you, but to me, I still thought this was an awesome thought. Now, alpha is the first letter and omega is the last letter of the Greek alphabet, the first and the last. I looked up the word for first, and it's Strong's Concordance, 4413, and it's Protos. 
And as always, I am going to do my best to pronounce Greek, but I don't speak Greek, so <laughs> so it's all Greek to me. Um, that joke's never going it's, it's never going to get old, guys. Never. Oh. Um, but its uh, definition is first or chief. Its usage is first, before, principal, most important. The word studies here, basically just cementing that first, first, foremost, i.e. number one. Now this word is derived from Strong's Concordance 4253, and that's just pro, like a pro athlete. Its usage is before, in front of, Sorry, its usage is A, of a place, and it's before or in front of, and B, of time, before, earlier, then. In verse 8, the word used for beginnings was Strong's Concordance 746RK. We've talked about this one before, RK. And that word was basically a beginning or origin, but it also kind of gave you an idea of the beginning of a kingly reign. The word beginning, RK, suggested an origin of Christ's rule in a kingly sense. Now you have the word first, and it suggests two things. One, a place, and two, a time. To me, the place it is suggesting regarding Jesus is that he was there at our beginning. I think of it, I think of in the beginning as a place. As John stated in his gospel, Jesus was, was with God in the beginning. God existed before the creation of the earth and all of us. And what shape and form God was in before the creation is beyond my comprehension. But since God has always been, then I know he was somewhere. And it is easier for my finite brain to think of that as some place. So that is why I'm suggesting when the Bible says, in the beginning, that is some place that God was before he created us and the earth. These are just my thoughts, my opinions, but still, that's how I'm quantifying this. No, I get it. So the place is before the creation, and the time is earlier than us. In this one little word of first, Jesus is able to explain so much about himself, way more than I have time to discover, but I still think that was pretty cool. Time and place. Now let's investigate the word last. It is Strong's Concordance 2078, and this one is eskatos, eskatos. Probably butchered it. <laughs> The definition is last or extreme. Its usage is last, at the last, finally, till the end. All that makes sense. The word study helper says, properly, last, final, the furthest extreme end, future things. This is the root of eschology, which is, which is the study of last things. This includes future Bible prophecy, the end times, and life after death. So this word comes from an uncertain origin, but it is the root of eschatology, which, Scott, I know you were studying for quite some time, we're really interested in, which that is the study of, of, of end times, kind of what we're doing here. But uh, the word means last, at the last. It also means finally, and tell the end. At the last makes me think of a place again. This time the place could be the ever and ever that we have studied in previous podcasts. There is also a time listed in this definition. Finally. Finally, it is time for ever and ever. It is time for the end. Finally, to me, right here is a time. I don't know when that is, but yeah. <laughs> but I'm still suggesting that finally can be a time. Finally indicates that, yeah, it didn't exist until 
it also indicates an emotion behind it, like like we were waiting for this, finally. Finally, uh, yes. At least to me. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I've mentioned in many of these podcasts how I, I will continue to live my life and I will continue to do whatever I can uh, to preach, to to study, to share the gospel, do whatever I can for God while I'm here. That doesn't mean that I'm not anxiously awaiting his return or anxiously awaiting my time to meet him, my time to be with him. So finally, when that happens, I'm going to celebrate finally, because <laughs> to me, that's going to be huge. But uh, anyway, I also found something else here interesting. Did you notice in the definition, it also could mean extreme? I found that interesting. Um, so I wanted to look this up. Uh, I wanted to look extreme up in just an English translation, just a, just a dictionary. As an adjective, the word means reaching a high or the highest degree, very great. Also means furthest from the center or a given point, the outermost. As a noun, either of two abstract things that are as different from each other as possible. So reaching a high or the highest degree and very great, okay, that one's easy. That's a definition of Jesus Christ. He achieved the highest position in God's kingdom, and of course, he is very great. That was, that was simple. <laughs> yeah. As the furthest from a, from a given point, I think it could be argued that Revelation is the furthest point from our origins in Genesis. And that also explains the noun meaning of extreme as two, extract, two abstract things that are as different from each other as possible. Our origins and our ending. Our beginning and our ending. Now, I love that when I investigate a word meaning, I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. I love that when I investigated the word meaning last, which makes you think of lowest or not as great, and it turns the whole meaning around to show that last can still be great, and it can even be very great. Once again, I thought that was cool, and I hope our listeners do too. Now, one more quick note on the word last, the Eskatos. It does come from an unknown root origin, but Strong's concordance suggests that it probably comes from the word echo. Now, since we do not know that for sure, I will not suggest that echo has anything to do with what is going on here in Revelation, but I still wanted to look into it. And I was surprised that echo wasn't really what I thought it would mean. If I say echo, what do you think right now? Well, in English, uh, <laughs> echo, echo, echo. Mm -hmm. Repetition. This is Strong's Concordance 2192, echo. And the definition is to have and hold. Usage, I have, I hold, I possess. So it means to, it means I have or I hold. It can also mean I hold in my hand. Now, since this is not really part of, since this word is not really part of this study, I do not want to make any conclusions other than to suggest that I think it is kind of a cool idea. Once again, you have the choice. You can possess or you can hold in your hand your own ending. Remember from previous podcast studies how God is holding out his hand and all you have to do is take it. But that got me thinking. To hold in my hand, if I take God's hand, I'm holding God's hand. Now, I've, I've, we've painted this picture before, but I've never really thought about the idea of holding the hand of God. Sorry, I don't have, I don't, have any uh, way of explaining what's going through my head right now but that image just yeah really impressed me i mean we, i give him credit because he wants to take my hand but as 
always, he is far greater and more impressive than I am. So his hand is going to be way more impressive than mine. Next, I investigated the word seest, of what thou seest. It is Strong's Concordance 991 Bleepo. B whoa. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a, um, a uh, sidekick on a Saturday morning cartoon. <laughs> Once again, I could be pronouncing it wrong. It could be Bleppo, but I'm pretty sure it's Bleepo. The definition is to look at. Its usage is primarily physical. I look, see, perceive, discern. The word study. Properly, it's to see and be observant or watchful. It suggests to see something physical with spiritual results. Ah. That is, it carries what it's seen into the non-physical let me say that again, just so I want to make sure I'm getting, make sure I'm saying this slow, so people understand what I'm saying. That is, it carries what is seen into the non-physical, the immaterial realm, so a person can take the needed action, which is response, beware, be alert. I really appreciate the word study here and what it says. This is not just something John experienced. It had a purpose, and he has to act. He has an action that must be taken. John was not just sitting there watching some spiritual movie and just got to relax and eat some popcorn and enjoy a soda. Nope. Right here in this word, seest, John is expected to take needed action. Receiving the revelation required a response. In previous podcasts, I have talked about John and why I think he was the perfect person and he was at the perfect location to receive the revelation. I've mentioned that John is a hero of mine, but I want to give some more evidence right here of why I think this gives more evidence to that truth. John was trusted with arguably the most important information we could ever get and God knew he could trust that information with John. God knew that John would respond. We also see that along with respond, we should be aware and be alert. I believe that also helps explains what it means to be a watchman. That is something that Scott and I have, have both talked about before. Being a good watchman means to be alert, be aware. The Bible literally says be sober and respond when needed. I don't know if you have any thoughts on being a watchman, Scott. Uh, not many more than what we've gone on before, but yeah, I, I've made the same connection when you're talking about this word, seest. Uh, it's not just look at it. It's, it's, there's a connotation with it that says, now process it and, and act upon accordingly. Um, yeah, that I, I, I was thinking the same thing. All right, now John is ordered to put everything that he sees into a book and send it on to the seven churches. I investigated the Greek words for book and send. They mean what you would think they mean. Book means paper, uh, papyrus scroll, papyrus scroll, sorry. But for the word send, I made a connection that once again I thought was interesting. The word send is Strong's Concordance 3992 and this one is pempo this one is pempo okay. <laughs> pempo the definition is to send the usage i send transmit permit to go put forth now to me this suggests that john has a choice to permit to go suggests to me that John gave his permission to send the revelation. Now, John loved his Savior, so I imagine it was a very easy choice for him to make. Uh, it was a very easy choice for him to follow his master's will. But I, will st I still find this interesting. Just like you and me, there is a choice to put forth, to permit something to go, to follow God's will or to not. 
Yeah, huh? I've never really consciously thought of that either. You just sort of see this the revelation that God comes in and says, do this. Okay, okay, I will. You have to acknowledge there has to be a part. There has to be an active participation on John's part. I mean, I mean, it, it would never have happened this way just because I know John's heart. But what if he said no? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we wouldn't have revelation if John had said, I'm not going to permit that to go. I'm going to keep that to myself. Mm-hmm. We would not have revelation and we would not have a good idea of what's to come. Now, also this translation of uh, Pempo says to put forth. It has intrigued me that the whole process, this whole process of revelation has intrigued me. Yahweh God gives the revelation to Yeshua Messiah. Yeshua Messiah gives that to John through a messenger. And John gives revelation to all of us, not just to the audiences of the seven churches, but to all of us who have come ever since. John put forth onto the earth something spiritual that started with Yahweh God. That whole process was summed up in a few verses in Scripture, but to me, I cannot help but be blown away by this. I do not know how to express it in words how awesome and unique that is. The revelation came direct from the top source, and I do not think we should take that lightly, even if I am now having the hard time explaining why I think this is so important, does that even make any sense? Yeah. Oh, oh, so much of this is like, you know, I know it's important, but so I, I, I get that feeling totally. So many of my studies, I'm like, oh, I know I'm on to something, but I can't quite explain it. I know it's important. Uh-huh. I know it needs to be respected. The idea that it came from Yahweh himself and got passed down, and, and, and then it's, it's come to all of us. We all have access to this. I mean, mm-hmm. tribes in the middle of nowhere have access to this now. <laughs> this is important, and it should be respected as such. Okay, so now the rest of this verse mentions the seven churches by name. And I think I can easily, this is where I'm going to cheat, I think I can easily get a whole podcast for each church. So I'm not going to look further into the churches here. When they come up later in the letters to the churches, I will take time to study each one and offer my thoughts at that time. Now, I know you've mentioned each of these cities before in the sense of their historical yeah. settings. But, um, but yeah, no, I, 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 I get what you're saying. That's a good plan. When you get into the church of Ephesus, then dig into that word. Absolutely. And so on and so forth, connecting it with what's going on at that moment. I think that'll be more value added if we get an idea of what each of the meanings of the, even just the names. Uh, Patmos surprised me by its name. Uh-huh. And I'm thinking that same thing is going to happen for each of these churches. We might be able to unearth some rare pearl of knowledge. So, yeah, I think it'll be more value added if I do it when we actually get to their, to their unique letter. Um, but, like you just said, Scott, if our listeners are interested, I have done a quick study of the modern-day locations of the seven churches and included the information that information in the second, is possibly the third podcast of this study. I know this is only the 10th podcast, but it feels like I haven't covered so much since then. I can't keep track of what was spoken and which one. At least for me personally and in my relationship journey, I feel that way. I will mention quick, though, right here, that scripture says the seven churches which are in Asia. At that time, the Asia it is referencing is the Roman province of Asia, roughly the western third of Asia Minor. Today, that would be modern-day Turkey. So the seven churches are in present-day Turkey. Okay, I know this is hard to believe, but we are moving on to a second verse in one study. (laughs) Verse 12 says, And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. Wait, before we move on, are we allowed to do two verses with you? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) All right, all right, go ahead. We might be breaking some laws. Okay, 
Now, the first, ver uh, the first word of this verse that I looked up was the Greek word for turned. And, and I turned. It is Strong's Concordance 1994. Please forgive me. This one, I believe, is epistrepho. 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 And it means to turn or to return. Its usage, I turn back towards. I come to myself. Pretty straightforward or <clears throat> pretty straightforward or not, since if you are turning, you would no longer be straightforward. That was a joke. <laughs> the word means what you think it does. I turn. Interesting, though, it says, I turn back towards. So the great voice came from behind. We know that. The great voice came from behind. And as we will learn later in the chapter, John will fall to, his, to the feet of Jesus as dead when he takes in the whole picture of what he sees behind him. And I wonder, and I think you and I have talked about this before, just separately in ourselves, but... It's always, it's always made me wonder what Jesus came initially from behind. He, he speaks to John, and John has to turn to see him. Mm -hmm. And I always wondered why. Why didn't he just show up to his face? Why does he show up behind him, introduce himself, and make John turn? And I wonder if this wasn't something to do with it the fact that he comes in such glory and majesty i think i think there's two uh i i have two thoughts on this the first is you're absolutely right because the, the description of i don't want to share the description yet because we're going to get there eventually in revelation i promise but right. <laughs> the description of jesus and all of his glory I hope I can do it some sort of justice because in my mind, it is one of the most amazing, beautiful, glorious things that you would ever see. But to randomly appear in front of John in that state would be, it would probably be too much of a shock. One, because John knows Jesus as his intimate friend. He knows him as the humble human servant. So to now see him in his totally full glory state, I don't know if he could process that without the time to think about it, without the, the turning and, and comprehending. But also, in the last study, we talked about the word behind and how when you hear a voice from behind you, it's, it's a way of God reminding you of all the things that he has done for you in the past. So... In a way, I think he, the great voice is calling to John just as a way of saying, it's me. It's me, Jesus. To help him so he's not so shocked when he does. Because mm -hmm. he is turning to see his friend, the one he loves. He is turning to see his intimate friend who is going to look different. Who is going to be very, who is going to be in a glorified state. So I, I think there's, there's so much... There, there's that and so much more that this could possibly mean. Um, but I do think those two ideas might help explain why it came from behind. Now, when John takes on this whole picture of Jesus, he falls to his feet as dead. I like how the definition here states, I come to myself. Because I think John is completely overwhelmed by what he sees. He literally comes back to himself as being just a mere human being seeing amazing God things. Real quick, I want to take a moment to suggest something. I am sure I'm going to talk more later when I try to comprehend the things that John is describing, but remember John knew Jesus intimately. John was there for miracle after miracle. John has already seen more amazing things in his life than you and I could have ever seen. But the shock of what he is seeing in this moment is enough to even make him fall down as if dead. John has seen some amazing things, but now he is seeing the risen king in all his glory. He is seeing his savior and his friend, the one he loved in all his glory. No doubt, 
John believed Jesus, his Savior, was God, but now for the first time, he's seen Jesus in the spiritual, in the spiritual realm. I think that's something, I, I believe the spiritual realm is all around us, and we can ask God to see more of it, but I think they have to be careful with that, because if we see the more of the spiritual realm, we have to be prepared for what we will see. You have to have the armor of God. You have to be in a certain position, because I think it would overwhelm us if we saw too much of it unprepared. I agree. I think it's grace that we, our eyes are blinded, uh, at least at the beginning. Yes. Now, now next, next up, up, I investigated, investigated the reek. The reek? <laughs> <laughs> I investigated the reek. I found out it was the trash can. I threw it out. I moved on. <laughs> I'm sorry, Greek friends. Next, I investigated the Greek word for voice. Oh, and I can say uh, Greek friends because, little known fact, we did have... Uh, Greece visit our page. So oh, cool. that was cool. And China has been back and great, but that we'll get to that in conversation. But anyway, um, so I investigated the word, the so Greek Matthew, word. We're taking you international. Hope you appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Greek word for voice. It is the same word used for the great voice in verse 10. It's Strong's Concordance 5456. And I'm really confused because apparently I thought I was running out of time or something. I didn't look this up in verse 10. Normally I go word by word. Um, so this is this is new. Maybe it didn't jump out to you at that point. Yeah, I'm still surprised though because I literally still look word for word just to just to see. But maybe God was saying, no, 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 I want you to talk about it now. It's uh, Strong's Concordance 5456 and it's phone, but it's spelled like phone. Its definition is a voice sound usage a sound noise voice language dialect uh, usages include blast like a blast of a trumpet cry language utterances voice voices or a statement now first thing that stood out to me has nothing to do with this study but this must be where we get the word phone <laughs> i mean it's pronounced phone but it's spelled exactly like phone with the P and everything. It's the English phone. So from now on, I will refer to my cell phone as my cell, cell phone. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm not going to remember that. Uh, the definition, once again, probably means what you think it should mean. But I find it interesting that it also translated sometimes as a blast. That really makes me think of the great voice as a trumpet. A blast of the trumpet or a blast of the chauffeur is a powerful and loud and impressive sound. Mm -hmm. Now, the root word for phone is Strong's Concordance 5346, and this one is me. This one is to declare or say. Now, properly, this means bring to light by asserting one statement one point of view over another, making effective contrasts which illuminate. I like the word study here, and I think it relates to Revelation. Bring to light by asserting one statement. The Revelation is a statement bringing to light the character of Jesus. I investigated spake and me, and I only had one thought, but I still liked it enough to share. The Greek word for me is 1700. It's mo, mo. The definition is me, mine, or my. Now, the word studies uh, is basically saying is is basically saying marked something by way of saying it's mine. I do not think. It is too much of a stretch to say that the great voice is marking John as his. The verse says, and I turn to see the voice that spake with me. Jesus is the voice, and when he spake, which means to say, 
And John is identifying himself in the verse as me, which can mean mine, to mark as mine. Then using just definitions, you can get Jesus says mine. Now that thought makes me hope and pray that when Jesus speaks to me, he will also say mine. Okay, just to let everyone know, I'm, I'm about to end with my thoughts on the word saw. I am admitting to cheating, as I've admitted a couple times now, a little bit, <laughs> because I promised two full verses, but I am going to save the golden lampstands for next time so I can, get, uh, so I can give my thoughts on them enough time. This one is already past the hour mark, so I want to give them enough time to really look at those. But uh, I do want to end this study with the word saw, because so much of Revelation is John doing his best to explain and paint the picture of all the things that he saw. The Greek word for saw used here is Strong's Concordance 1492. This is I do, I do. And this means to be aware, behold, consider, perceive. Its usage can also be I know, I remember, I appreciate. Now, once again, I'm going to read the word studies uh, a little slowly because I want to make sure I'm getting them said correctly. Properly, to see with physical eyes as it naturally bridges to the metaphorical sense, perceiving or mentally seeing. This is akin to the expression, I see what you mean. I see what you are saying. Also, seeing that becomes knowing, then is a gateway to grasp spiritual truth or reality from a physical plane. I do, then, is a physical scene. It's the physical sight, which should be the constant bridge to mental and spiritual seeing. Okay, so that's a lot, but I'm, here's, what I, here's what I'm thinking. Be aware, behold, consider, and perceive. That all makes sense. I like the usage of the definitions. I know, remember, and appreciate. John is beholding everything he sees, and he has to consider it. When writing all that he saw, he will remember and appreciate it. I think that this is something we should strive to do as well as we read on and see in our mind's eye what John saw. I like the word study here. It states seeing becomes knowing, and that is a gateway to grasp spiritual truth from a physical plane. I don't want to interrupt what you're talking about here, but you're, you're connecting I love it when this happens because you're connecting what I'm about to do in my Genesis study. So yes, go on. <laughs> yes. I love when that happens too. Now, the way I'm reading this, well, real quick, I, I've, I've talked about this before when looking at a different version of the word saw and, 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 and seen and how we see Jesus and how we should actually see him with spiritual truth. Um, we need to see him with our spiritual eyes. That way we know him and love him in the way we are supposed to. But here, the way I'm reading this is if that we spend too much effort looking at the world with just our physical sight, then that is all we will ever see. Instead, our physical sight should be a bridge to help us see with spiritual sight. Jesus told the Pharisees that they were blind. And now, I think after all these years, I'm finally making a connection. They were not physically blind, and I knew that, but they're not physically blind. They were spiritually blind. The Son of God is literally standing right in front of them, and they are blind to see it. They are too focused at looking at the world with their physical eyes. If you witness a miracle with your physical eyes but you still deny it then i believe you are spiritually blind paul this is what matt was talking about earlier paul had to lose his physical sight to start seeing with his spiritual sight once again i hope these thoughts are making sense because i do feel like there's something important to that 
No, I think you're absolutely right. And it's and it's and it goes back to what I've said from the beginning is everything God does in the physical is a representation of something he does in the spiritual. And with Paul, he blinded him in the physical to reveal to him that that was the reality in the spiritual. Mm-hmm. He was showing, he was giving him physical evidence of his spiritual reality. Yep. And and no, I like that. Um any any thoughts, Matthew? No. Okay. Now, the word I do is said in every marriage ceremony. <laughs> oh, wait. No, sorry. Go on. The word, the word I do has a root word I want to share with you. It's Strong's Concordance 3609. And this one is oikios. Oh, boy. I got that. I hope I got that right. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, the definition is to have seen or perceived and to know. Its usage usually means of one's family, domestic, and intimate. To know of one's family, domestic, and intimate. Both Scott and I have talked about how we are under Jesus. We are all one family. We've talked about how we are all brothers and how we should be concerned with where our brothers are in their journey in a spiritual sense. I think this is how we can have certainty that John relayed the revelation accurately and correctly because John intimately knows his family and would know how to share what he saw with his human family as well, his brothers. All right, so brothers, that is my thoughts on these two verses so far. Next time, I plan to pick up right here with the golden lampstands, or candlesticks, as they're said in King James Version. And we are getting close to the description of Jesus in all his glory. His appearance matches his great voice. And I am very excited to get to that point and share my thoughts with all of you on that. But uh, before we wrap this one up, Scott, Matt, do either one of you have any comments, questions, concerns, complaints? No. No, I, I, I agree. That was pretty clear for the most part. And I appreciate what you had to give us today. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. Well, then, on that note, as always, this has been Brad. It's been Matt. And this has been Scott. And this has been Not About Us.